0: it's the Practical Medicine Podcast, and we are Dr. Rob Balco.
1: And Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki.
0: And it's our goal to bring awareness to the public at large about the many different ways to maintain health, heal your body, mind, and spirit, from acupuncture to zen living, and everything in between. Episode 15 is about multiple sclerosis and acupuncture.
1: So, March is Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. Um, And apart from it being Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month, um, it's something that is a topic that's near and dear to my heart for people who don't know me are um, new to who I am. My dad had multiple sclerosis and uh, passed away from it in 2011. I myself don't specialize in multiple sclerosis. I treated him very minimally as I was nearing the end of my um, training in acupuncture school. Uh, if you don't know what multiple sclerosis is, the Short version of it is that the um, myelin sheath, which is like what wraps around the nerve pathways, starts to deteriorate. So I always try and explain it to people. It's sort of like if you have a wire and the protective coating on that wire starts to break down, the wire doesn't function the right way. So the brain is sending those messages, but they're not getting to the parts of the body that they're supposed to. And then you start having things like muscle atrophy. The brain is telling you to do things and they're not happening. And then there's other things that sort of break down as that happens. So I asked, Our special guest today, Dr. Melanie Caton, to come on because she was one of my instructors when I was at PCOM. Um, She taught the pediatrics class that I had, but I know that she specializes in MS and she agreed to come on and speak to us. So, welcome, Melanie. I'm so happy to have you here.
2: Thank you. I am really delighted that you invited me, and uh, it's really great to be here and share a little bit about. Um, acupuncture and Chinese medicine and how it can benefit uh, multiple sclerosis.
1: So if you want, you could tell our audience a little bit about yourself in your own words. Sure. Um, Well, I have been practicing acupuncture
2: about 17 years. And um, back when I started practicing in New York City, it's hard to believe this is true, but Uh, there were no websites. Nobody had a website to promote their business. And so in order to build a practice, it was just talking to people and encouraging them to try acupuncture. And um, one of the first patients that I met was uh, somebody that was referred to me by my husband. And um, she had MS. And he didn't know that she had MS, but um, that was revealed. And I realized that I really didn't learn anything about MS in school. And so I I took a really keen interest. I hadn't heard of any other practitioners really focusing on that. And um, so I started studying, and then I learned that there is a um, certification uh, called the Multiple Sclerosis Certified Specialist certification. And typically nurses or occupational therapists or physical therapists who work with that um, specialized population will get this certification. But I decided, well, why not? I can study for it and uh, you take a test and you get certified and then you do continuing credits uh, towards it. Um, So I felt like I had a very good handle on MS from a biomedical perspective, and I became really interested. Obviously, since I was an acupuncturist, in um, figuring out, you know, what is the basis of the disease mechanism in both biomedicine, but also Chinese medicine, and um, how can how can I be of service and help people who are suffering?
1: Excellent. So, um, um, so, let's maybe just get right into some of the key things that acupuncture can help with. Um, and there were some things that I kind of jotted down as notes that were things that came to my mind, um, things like fatigue, um, some of the muscle spasticity, things like that. Or yeah. well, I feel that most people are, you know, getting the most help from when they come to see you?
2: Well, let me kind of go back a, a couple steps. Sure. Um, a lot of, so I've, I've seen, I don't even know how many hundreds of patients with MS. And um, I've even met patients who have symptoms that are really comparable to MS. And that's a very frightening place for somebody to be when they don't know what's wrong. They have sort of consistent, peculiar symptoms that they've never had before. Um, for instance, they might, Start to develop like a pins and needles sensation on a certain part of their body, maybe on the bottom of their foot, and they don't pay attention to it. But then a week or two go goes by, and then they start having this pins and needle sensation in their arms and their forearms, and it's bilateral. And now they're getting concerned, and um, and they don't know what that might be. And and there's a lot of th- things that that could be. It doesn't have to be MS. There's a lot of overlapping illnesses that might present like that. Um, But it's a very frightening time for patients. Um, Another early onset symptom is um, uh, optic neuritis, which is a uh, sometimes can present as a visual disturbance, or it can feel um, it's been described as sort of a sensation of pulling behind one of the eyes. And again, it's something, especially today, with the amount of screen time that we have, it might be a symptom that's very much overlooked. Right. Um, but when you, when you have this sort of cascade of symptoms that appear, um, patients take a long time to determine that they might need to see a neurologist. So one of the great things about being an acupuncturist is um, we see patients very regularly And if they start to exhibit any symptoms that I find, you know, potentially might warrant um, more investigation, I can, you know, gently guide them to the right uh, and appropriate medical specialist. Right. Um, So I know you asked me another question. That's okay.
1: Actually, when you said that, so it brought up for me. um, So I was seven when my dad was officially diagnosed but for four four years or possibly more three or four years he had symptoms and you're talking about in the 80s late late 70s early 80s where people didn't really know much about MS and he was going for a barrage of tests and you didn't have MRIs like they have now where I feel like the diagnosis is a little quicker and like my mother tells the story that she had read a magazine article and she was just ticking off symptom after symptom after symptom. And, and she was like, I think that this is what it is where mm-hmm. it's so different now. And I mean, his, his issues were his gate was off where like yeah. the neighbors would ask, you know, does Larry have a drinking problem now? Yeah. Or yeah. Um, he did have some issues with his vision. Um, and as an aside, he was having seizures. But it it was like a period of time. So I remember before those symptoms showed up, and like my sister is younger than me, she doesn't remember him not being sick because she's Mm. about four years younger. So, but yeah, I feel like they they are symptoms that can be so many other things that, you know, but it is different now, I think. And and I feel like back then, um, there weren't a lot of sources to go to once you had it. There's a lot more Western and that, but I wanted to, you know, share what we can do to help to go along with the Western treatments. Right. Um, well, uh, so I want to talk a little bit
2: about, um, history of, um, like there's a parallel history with Chinese medicine and, um, more modern research Um, Now, I should sort of say that both of these um, doctors that I'm going to talk about were both sort of ridiculed during their time. So um, in the 18th century, there um, was a doctor named Wang Xingren, and he's really notorious for coming up with the notion that um, this idea in Chinese medicine of blood stasis um, is the foundation of all disease. Um, I should explain a little bit about what blood stasis is. Um, you know, Chinese medicine has a lot of terminology that doesn't quite cross over into Western medicine, although, blood stasis actually is probably the easiest concept to understand. Um, it's when blood doesn't move very well, and that can give rise to poor circulation. It can give rise to the pins and needle sensation, Um, um, a variety of other things that I'll talk about in a little while. But uh, so Wang Xingren was ridiculed for this idea and his methods um, in the 18th century. And what I find very interesting about him is that he has a modern day counterpart in Western medicine. A, uh, an Italian doctor named Paolo Zamboni. And I don't know if you're familiar with, with his work. Um, in 2009, he came up with this idea. His wife had MS okay. and he, he came up with this idea that there was a certain kind of reflux happening with the blood flow. I can't remember what he called it. Like I wrote it down somewhere um, where there was like a reflux action in the blood circulation into the brain. It's called chronic cerebral insufficiency. I can't look up what it is, but um, I had the pleasure of um, attending a lecture at NYU in 2010 where he was the guest speaker and the specialists, the other neurologists who were in the audience were scathing, (laughs) they were really harsh on his methods, and and there were a lot of flaws in his methodology, but like Wang Qingren, he came up with this new idea about blood becoming static in the brain, and that's what gave rise to MS. Um, And that that actually helped me, even though his theories were discounted, it really made me think about um, why MS presents in the way that it does. And I, I feel like even in Western medicine, it's not really that well understood. Um, nobody can really say why the there's demyelination. Everybody says, well, it has to do with the T cells crossing the blood brain barrier and causing this immune response, uh, the body attacks itself. But I really started to think on a very basic level with Chinese medicine why, why? So the myelin sheath is basically a fatty sheath right and i thought well what what breaks down fat right an acid or something right. really toxic breaks down fat and so i thought in terms of the pathology of why do people why do some people develop ms well it's really just something has created a scenario that there's some kind of toxicity. And I use that term very broadly, that has entered in, it's pathogenic, and it causes the demyelination. Um, And then as a cascade is this circumstance of blood stasis, where there might be lack of tactile sensation, or lack of circulation to internal organs, such as the bowel or bladder, so um, there might be a loss of function, bowel and bladder function. Um, anyway, it's just very interesting how these two doctors from you know Different from millennia apart really, yeah, you know, had a very similar a for- approach, and right. we're both sort of ridiculed, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so. When you're treating them, because, and this is a term we talk about um, trying to resolve blood stasis. Is that one of the the treatment plans that you take with patients or, um, you know, some people say treating the brain is the way to, you know, in terms of what points function and go along with the brain. Sure. Um, do you just do acupuncture? Do you do acupuncture and herbs with those patients? Well, you know. So I had a 14-year practice
2: in New York City, and um, most of my patients were, you know, with me that entire time. Um, I recently moved to Chicago, so I started a new practice here. Um, but I would see patients through a, a kind of a, a, a history. I'd be sort of witnessing their history with their prognosis and their... Um, you know, very often their decline in function. So where I may have met somebody early on in their disease progression, where they're walking without assistance, um, they have very mild, I mean, it depends on the type of MS, but they have very mild symptoms, where it's more of a relapsing remitting, where they have periods of time where they're totally okay. So in that instance, I wouldn't necessarily think that resolving blood stasis would be appropriate, maybe, you know, boosting their chi, building their energy, um, nourishing their blood. And I would do that with diet or with herbs or with acupuncture, Um, also paying close attention to the types of medicine that they were on. At the time, um, in 2004, there were only a couple different injectable medications there were the interferon medications um it was uh copaxone which is gladiomir acetate and and betaseron yeah which is the interferon so there were and now today there are um there are oral medications which are totally different and and i think they're very different in the way that they act um, so it really depended where I met the patient, like where were they in their trajectory and what were their goals in treatment? What outcomes did they want to see? Right. Um, I had a patient, um, you know, MS typically it tends more to affect women. However, the male patients that I had always had far more severe um, cases. And I, Nobody really knows why that is. Um, But I had a gentleman in his, probably in his mid-60s, and he was, um, he had to use a motorized scooter to get around. And he was, he was so advanced in the disease process. And the only thing that he wanted to do was maintain um, his ability to use the restroom at his workplace without falling, without assistance. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to have enough strength for that to happen. Right. And, um, and we got there. I mean, he felt autonomous enough that he could go into the bathroom, he could, you know, get the strength to stand up and, and do what he needed to do independently. Very cool.
1: Um, how much do you feel that? Because I, I always say that one of the things that I feel is so great about acupuncture is that it manages so much of the outside world stress. And I always felt like in watching my dad that stress played such a component in um, flare ups. And, and sure. although my dad's was pretty much progressive the whole time. He never had relapsing, remitting. I just feel like, and, and when I say stress, it's even things like, you know, we had to be careful not to get him sick, to bring things into the house and and those sorts of things. How much does um, acupuncture play a role in helping that with MS patients? I'm really glad you brought that up because, um, and I I learned
2: this from another teacher, but I use it all the time. I use this with, uh, I describe it to my my students and my patients, that I kind of view, um any illness with three different levels. And the first level is where people might have kind of quality of life disturbances. Occasionally they get headaches. Certain foods make them sick to their stomach, but not all the time, Um, but very small sort of discomforts. And acupuncture works great for addressing those problems. You add a little bit of stress to those problems though, and those become a little bit more cumulative. They become more chronic. So what used to be a little bit of a headache is now chronic migraines or um, that upset stomach is now actually acid reflux, GERD, or um, the little bit of bloating they sometimes had. Well, now it seems like they're pre-diabetic. So the stress can change a mild um, discomfort into something that becomes, uh, you know, what we would consider a functional illness. There's nothing that is measurable necessarily, um, but the little bit of stress makes things worse and more cantankerous in the body. And then you get to the third level of illness where you actually have cellular changes, where they are measurable, either by imaging or blood work and stress is very much impactful to make those symptoms worse, uh, make them flare more often. And um, acupuncture in every single one of those can be remarkable to quiet down the sympathetic nervous system. And um, I always tell my patients that they need to be like bamboo. They need to be strong, resilient, and flexible. So we can't change the stresses, but we can change how we, and and stress actually is just an adaptation. We sort of put the idea of stress as being this burden or something that's overwhelming, but stress is just your body's adaptation to a new circumstance. So if you can become more flexible in those cases, yeah, acupuncture is great for kind of smoothing things out. Right. Yeah.
1: I always, I try and tell people it's like the the Tai Chi symbol, that that's everything in balance and that when these things happen, stresses happen, one side gets a little bigger and the other side gets a little smaller and that acupuncture brings it back to that equal balance, which is what we're always striving as acupuncturists to help our patients achieve. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to see, was that comment something that we wanted to ask uh, Dr. Mel now
0: or? No, it's about COVID and I'd rather stay on the
1: topic. Okay, not a problem. (laughs) Just wanted to check. Um, So
0: one thing I wanted to to ask Melanie is, um, and I know we want to keep this um, discussion more for the patients, but I'm curious uh, how you or or how your patients um, are diagnosed in like eight principles. In terms of damp and dry. Um, uh, it's
2: it's yeah. really different because every um,
0: presentation.
2: Yeah, every patient ha- comes at a different point.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't I can't really say if there's like one standard. Right. Okay. Um, but they tend to be deficient. I mean, mostly they bec- they mm-hmm. are on the deficient side. Right. Um, mostly in terms of body types. I did, I did work with a woman in New York for a long time who was a personal trainer, um, who had a very strong uh, toned body. and um, But by the time I met her, she had totally wilted and atrophied. Mm-hmm. And so that was always something like their, just their tone becomes so soft. So, you know, very much deficient. I don't, I can't really say if they were damp. I always found though that the textbook, um, those textbooks that talk about autoimmune illnesses and MS in particular, I never necessarily felt like my patients fit into those categories. It seemed like everything was a yin deficiency. Like, oh, it's just yin deficiency it's a kidney or uh, kidney or liver yin deficiency. And I never actually thought that was the case. I felt like that was trying to fit something into the Chinese medical paradigm, but right. it didn't make sense to me. It seemed like it was a more chi and blood characteristic rather than a yin deficiency. I'm sure I'll get blasted for saying that, but-
0: <laughs> Heresy. That's what's interesting what's what is I
1: that, I saw. like for in seeing my dad towards the end, so my dad, um you know, in his youth was a football player. He played basketball when he was in high school. Um, And towards the end, and my dad was six foot two, um, he was around 127 pounds before he died. And, and it was, it really just looked like skin over bones. I, I remember his knees looking so big. And then what would happen is from sitting in the wheelchair, he would get like contracture of like the hamstring muscles and and then you couldn't straighten his legs out. It was Mm -hmm. hard to get him into comfortable positions. Which of course is much later on. I mean at that point, um I I want to say he was probably, you know, diagnosed for about at least maybe 30 years even at that point. Um maybe even longer. Mm -hmm. Um so like and he had um like you know, definite loss of tone. There were things like twitches almost, but not really like a Parkinson's type twitch, but things like that. Yeah.
2: Spasticity Spasticity. and rigidity. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. I think it's so complicated. It's not. Right. It's like so many layers of um, malfunction.
1: Um, do, are there like specific supplements at all that you like seem to see help across the board with patients? I could remember my dad had gone to see someone like at the onset and I mean he and I feel like this is me now I take all these different supplements but I remember feeling at the time like dad how do you even know that those are the right ones that you should be on? Like you yeah. never went back and had somebody analyze and like In hindsight, I think he was taking things that he shouldn't have and maybe should have taken other things, but just because, you know, someone, you know, when I was seven told him he should take these particular things. Well, I mean, vitamin D3 is always
2: the number one thing that people should get their levels checked and see where they are um, on that scale. Um, What's really weird and interesting, um, there is an off-label um, use of, it's a medicine. It's uh Tavis D, which mm-hmm. is an old allergy medicine. Yeah. And for some reason that really helps some patients walk a lot better and just have more that. ability. It's so weird. Yeah. So that was always something I would have patients bring up with their doctors and see if that was something useful. Um, I like fish oils. I like just the incorporation of oils into the diet. Um, Obviously, anything that can be um, gotten from the diet is you know, right. something I prefer rather than throw a lot of supplements at people. Um, I usually had patients take Chinese herbal medicine along with their um, acupuncture treatments just to kind of sustain them. And whether that was for helping them with sleep or helping um, kind of soften spasticity Right. Um, and contracture. It just really depended.
1: Yeah. I think that at one point my dad early on had done the McDougal diet and just lost so much weight that his doctors were like, you have to stop. You can't, um, you can't, you can't sustain that way. It just wasn't a nutritious enough diet. Um, not that it set him back, but I just remember that being one of the things that he had tried. Um and how do you feel about? I, I've heard of instances where um, people don't do anything Western medicine wise. I mean, I I sort of feel like the and I don't see a lot of MS patients. I've only had a few here and there. Um, the ones who are doing better seem to have been on a Western regimen early on, and then you know I've done things to help along with that protocol. Yeah, uh,
2: I. I, It really just again, it depends. I have had some patients who are really. They've done every medication. They did the Tysabri, and that became really dangerous for them. Um, They tried the. um, I can't remember what it's called. It's Jelenia, I think it is. That's one of the newer ones in the last like five or ten years. And then that just stopped being efficacious, which I think happens with a lot of illnesses and a lot of medication use that right. it just stops being beneficial. Um, so, a lot of the patients I saw who were in their sort of later stages of MS um, opted not to take medication really at all because it wasn't really serving them. And yeah. the, those medications are preposterously expensive.
1: Yeah. I think that my, like for a period of time, my dad was on the interferon Mm -hmm. and I, I honestly believe that by the time they started him on that, he wasn't a candidate for it. Like they were just, okay, we'll try this because it's there kind of thing. But he was so far along. I think I always felt like, well, maybe if, you know, 20 years before that he had started it, it would have made a difference. But we didn't see any difference at that point that he actually started taking it.
2: I don't know if they still, um, are giving patients interferon. I think the most recent MS patient I met, I think was starting with Tysabri right yeah. away, which is an infusion like every six yeah. weeks or something. Um, so they're not even going right. that route anymore because I don't there think was it was that things. effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So that could have even been, it just wasn't effective period. Not that it was too late when he started it. Um, so, um, let's see, are there any specific triggers that you see among patients that make things better or worse?
2: Uh, the change of season is a big time for people to have flares. That's true with pretty much every autoimmune illness. Um, so, and the seasons that I find most detrimental are, uh, between, um, winter and spring, and then again in autumn. So when it goes from summer to autumn, those, te- those changes seem to be very hard for people to adapt to. Uh, and people get very accustomed to kind of looking out for um, those symptoms that start to arise during that time. Um, we mentioned stress also. Um, I can't think of anything necessarily. Most of the MS patients that I've, um, worked with were pretty diligent about their diet ch- or changing their diet at least um, during the time that I uh, was treating a lot of patients. Uh, Terry Walls uh, came out with her miraculous um, recovery from MS by incorporating a very specific diet, and she's written a lot about
1: it. And um, I feel like it sounds familiar. I don't know that I read but it, it's, it you know it's re- like it sounds like something i had heard it, at one time or another yeah it's like a very paleo type of diet
2: that seems to you know be, that's just better for a lot of people not just right. people
1: with ms um let's see um do you want to speak at all of the emotional component oh yeah that's <laughs> actually um,
2: That's something, like I said at the beginning, when patients may not be diagnosed yet, or they're sort of very fearful about what that diagnosis might be, um, because we end up seeing people pretty regularly, whether it's once a week or once every couple of weeks, um, I always felt like, with every patient I feel this way, just being... Uh, a sounding board for um, you know their depression, their anxiety. Um, yeah, that's a that's a very hard component to uh, for people to um sorry, my cat is <laughs> <laughs> she's distracting me.
1: <laughs> she wants to be a part of it.
2: Oh she's, she's
1: yeah. okay. my
2: my gree gree. <laughs>
1: Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if now might not be, might be a good time for me to share some of the things that, um, my, my girlfriend, Jennifer, who I went to high school with has multiple sclerosis. And I had asked her to share, um, some of the things that she, as someone who has MS would want people to know. Um, and then maybe we could talk about them. So she gave me 12 12 different things and then a TMI that she was like, I don't know if you want to share this, but I said, you know, I'm comfortable sharing whatever you want me to share. Um, So she said that MS fatigue is, is not like regular fatigue. It's so much worse. Um, She said that um, when, when they say you can't die from MS, that's a lie. I think that that's something that they've, they had said, like, you don't die from that, but it's these other things. And, that maybe wouldn't affect someone if they didn't, you know, that you and I would be fine. So, yeah, ultimately it is MS. Um, she said that people with MS may have severe, uncontrollable mood swings, which for me, I hadn't really thought about some of the behavior that my dad had and me not having any patience whatsoever, that he never shared that it was like a mood swing thing for him. Um, She said that one day we may be fine and the next day we may not be able to function. That I can remember very much with my dad. He would not, I mean, he was chronic progressive and just got worse, but some days he was so much better than others and some days he couldn't get out of bed. Um, she said, uh, someday we may get our words all messed up. Please do not laugh at us. Mm -hmm. And I, that's another one I can remember. Um, We're always thinking about how much energy a task will take and then figuring out if we have enough to do it or what activity we can give up to accomplish it and if it's worth the trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, People with MS miss the former person that they used to be. Uh, People with MS are not lazy, which when I read that, I was like, really, people think that? But I could remember her telling me a story about parking in handicap parking because you don't know if you go somewhere, mm-hmm. whether or not you'll be able to make it back to your car because you don't know how exhausted you're going to be. And people telling her she looked fine.
0: Right. Which yeah. is,
1: that, you know.
0: Right. People look outwardly yeah, healthy. They look, you can't see right. certain diseases mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. have.
1: Yeah. Um, and that people with MS need a good support system. Their doctors, their family, their friends, Um She shared that she feels like a lot of people have abandoned her, which made my heart hurt because I just thought, like, I know I haven't seen her because in the time of COVID, I feel like, well, I don't want to take the chance of making someone who has a chronic illness sick. But I, you know, that must just, I don't know, it just made my heart really hurt, um, She said, MS is not a cheap disease. I know she had to have her car converted and very little of it was covered. Yeah. Um, And she said, having good medical insurance is a plus, but it doesn't cover everything or all of her needs and that it does affect the whole family. And I had asked her to share because I know my point of view as the child of someone growing up who had it, but I was never in my dad's shoes and he's Mm -hmm. not even here for me to ask him his point of view. Um, and then she said, she said, here is an openly honest one and it's probably TMI. And I said, that was okay. She said, um, and again, I'm 47 and this, you know, we I don't consider us to be that old. Maybe other people would. She said, sex is a no go anymore as I don't have any feeling from the waist down. She said, I can still use the bathroom. Thank goodness. But that may eventually go as well. She said, my life is not what I had dreamed it would be, and I'm only living because my kids still need me. Uh, that's really heartbreaking. Yeah. So I just wanted, you know, our listeners to hear, and I would have had Jen in the studio if if we were not living in COVID times and had all four of us together, but I asked her to at least, you know, send in some comments that I could share. Um, so those are, I mean, are those similar things that you hear from patients when they come in? like similar concerns. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some people have more of their lesions
2: affect their upper body. So right. they may have more dysfunction with their hands or with articulating their words, um, especially when fatigued and that MS fatigue is something that's not like, Oh, I need a nap and then I'll be better. Right. Um, and I remember I had a patient um probably in like 2010 or 2011 around that time. And her main dysfunction was with her hands. So just doing dishes, caring for her child. Um, it was before there was, uh, I think it was just the onset of technology that was voice activated. So, um, it was very hard for her to maintain employment because she wasn't able to use a computer or type or anything. Um, fortunately now we have more technology to assist people like that right um but uh yeah and then a lot of people do wind up with the lower body um dysfunction where they lose um, bowel and bladder control and that's incredibly stressful and people feel so ashamed and again like you said before ms is really an invisible disease until somebody's walking with a cane Right or in a wheelchair or scooter, um, um, we just don't. You know, it's not very recognizable that something might be, um, you know, amiss and that person might be sick.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's definitely the case with Jennifer. Like, if you, you know, if you were sitting across the table from her, she doesn't outwardly look like anything is wrong. You know, yeah. she she's a healthy, forty-seven year old woman and. You know, when she gets up and walks, you can, you know, see that she does have trouble with her gait. And, um, but yeah, I, you know, and s- early on that, like I said, my dad looked healthy, but that was one of the main things in the beginning, the trouble with the gait and neighbors saying, you know, is he drunk? <laughs> is he coming home drunk at four o'clock in the afternoon from <laughs> um, work. Really terrible. Yeah. And, you know, not being able to use a car the, you know, the way that you thought you would, or having to get hand controls in the car. And then if you're, like you said, if it's an upper body lesion, you may not be able to use hand controls and then drive. So um, I'm just looking at the time. Do we want to look at comments from the comment section?
0: I think there is one request for a kitten shot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I
2: I think she went away. I don't know where the other one is. I have two kittens, but...
1: (laughs) And then Daryl gave you a shout-out. Hey, Daryl. Dr. D. Yep. <laughs> that was up in the beginning.
2: Hey, I see you, D. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks uh, for joining us.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, wait, here's a cat. Oh, this is Grigri.
0: Aw. I'm looking at the delay down here. I'm not oh, it's so funny. Like, <laughs> It's so cute um
1: it's a COVID a th- kitty
0: <laughs> COVID
1: um few comments about um the vitamin d which you know again i feel like everybody needs to make sure they're on top of that particularly up here in the east coast we're not not getting enough sunlight for sure
2: no not here in chicago either although it's been <laughs> sunny but
0: that's great but
2: not enough to build up that vitamin d no definitely not and that's something I recommend people check with their doctors and find out what your levels are. Yeah. Um, I have a patient who came to me recently and her level was 12. <gasps> oh my and, god. And just for range, like a functional doctor will tell you that between 60 and 80 is actually the optimal range. Right. I think, you know, the blood work from the uh, standard physician will tell you somewhere around 25 or 27 yeah is is you know enough but it's uh, not i don't
1: i don't agree it's funny that you say that cuz every time i've had my blood work since i had some surgeries it's come back at like 29 or 30 which i consider to be too low that's that's like the bottom range of safe and yes. if it's at 30 and i'm taking d every day i'm like that's too low and my doctor every single time is like the blood work is fine and i think to myself what if I wasn't a healthcare provider and I didn't know that that's not a normal range and just was like, okay, I'm just going to go about my day. It's, it's opening up to so many other things. Right.
2: You know, with vitamin D, I, uh, before I did acupuncture, I was a personal trainer and, um, worked in cardiac rehab. And so was looking a lot at, um, information about vitamin D probably in like the late, 90s or early 2000s. And um, I have an autoimmune illness and I decided then that maybe it would benefit me to start taking vitamin D. And the Western doctors had no, no. information about it. They mm-hmm. they didn't know about it. And, and now like 20, 25 years later, they're all recommending it. <laughs> right.
1: I think we had a couple more questions. Yep. Um, one about, can ap- can acupuncture help with dizziness and gait?
2: Yeah, with, with those sorts of symptoms, um, there's a lot of acupuncture points in the scalp that are particularly helpful for um, both sensory problems as well as motor problems. And um, if you find an acupuncturist near you, uh, ask if they do scalp acupuncture because that can be quite Useful, so it's not necessarily only on the limbs, um, but certainly that's those are two very common um, for everybody. Anybody who has dizziness or um, ataxia or gait problems can benefit, um, particularly from scalp acupuncture.
0: Right, Right. I treat it all the time.
1: And then another comment about the I, I the level of vitamin, the ideal level of vitamin D. um, Again, it's going to vary, I say closer to the 60 range is like, safer. But if you were to read your blood work, like if you ask your doctor for a copy of it, and it comes back at like 30, it's going to say it's within normal range. But I think that that's low.
2: I I think that's the, you know, functional medicine is sort of taking hold in um, our current world. And the functional doctors will say that closer to 60 is optimal.
1: Yeah. Um, And then another comment about how often do you have to go for it to be beneficial? For
2: acupuncture treatments? It really depends on, um, okay, so obviously with something like multiple sclerosis, that's not something that's going to go away. Right. Right with people with relapsing remitting, you might have longer periods of time if you're going more regularly. So um, some people like to come weekly for treatments. Um, It does become a matter of finances, of course. So some people come once a month and they just come once a month for the rest of their lives (laughs) or as long as, you know, you want to. Um, A lot of people, if they have very few symptoms, they will come around those changes of season. So right before there's a change of season, I might recommend come for a couple of weeks in a row um, and then we'll kind of get you through that hump. So it just sort of, it really is individual. Like what is comfortable for you and what are your treatment goals? Like what do you want to achieve?
1: And I feel like it's like that across different conditions. Um, Yes. You know, not just ms but somebody could be coming for headaches and it's kind of like well what's what are the triggers you know what's going on what's your diet like what kind of changes can we make and and we've kind of said that you know with different conditions it's you sit down and the best thing to do is come up with a treatment plan with the practitioner that you're seeing exactly you know figure out what works exactly um, anything else that you want to share with our audience Hmm. Is vital information? Any vital
2: information about treatment? <laughs> and
1: Anything more that you think that we should share?
2: Um, well, you know, I really would encourage people if you do have MS or if you have anything else, but since we're talking about MS, um, that you really do consider acupuncture as a really helpful option in addition to what you're doing biomedically? Um, I get, um, probably every month I get a, something from the MS society or the MS, I'm not actually sure who sends that the consortium. Sorry. That's who I'm certified through the consortium of multiple sclerosis providers. And it's all the research on, um, you know, different outcomes with various interventions. And they never once talk about acupuncture. They talk about physical therapy. They talk about occupational therapy, different medications. Um, but with acupuncture and Chinese medicine, we are, we do fill in the gaps in a lot of these, um, in a lot of the healthcare. So we are another set of ears to be compassionate and, um and maybe help you kind of come to terms with the emotional aspect or the spiritual aspect or, you know, certainly the physical aspect. But we kind of glue all of that together and can um, be a good sounding board for somebody who's really suffering.
1: Right. Um, we ha- we did have one- another mm-hmm. question. Can you do acupuncture while you're doing um, PT? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Um, There's no contraindication with any of these um,
1: interventions. Not at all. You can do all of that. That's how I always feel. Although sometimes I'll have patients, like depending on what they're going for PT for, not MS, but other things. Um, If they're doing PT and chiropractic and acupuncture, I'm like, sometimes I have them do a round of PT before they come to me just so that I know what I can see, what results are from me, and what are from the physical therapy. But MS, I feel like, is one of those things that you really need all of it to support you the best. Right, and I would, I would urge people to
2: seek out a, a licensed acupuncturist to receive acupuncture, um, just because we have the nuanced uh, training to do acupuncture. Right.
0: I've had uh, patients describe that as their pit crew.
1: Oh, I like that. <laughs> that I like that. that.
0: You're you're now part of my my pit crew. That my is physical a great... therapist, my chiropractor, my primary care doctor, and in cases of MS, you know, you're going to have a neurologist, right? And, you know, some other doctor.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. The whole yeah. thing. Uh, you know what I found in when I was in New York, I had a couple of neurologists who knew me and would refer a lot of people to me. Um I am in the Midwest now. I feel like it's 10 years behind uh, New York with regards to um, physicians being comfortable or even knowing about Chinese medicine, which I find astonishing. Like I entered a time warp when I moved here. <laughs> and no offense to anybody who lives here, but, oh, but just telling you somebody who came from New York to the Midwest, it's its very unusual. I not feel to like. Have-
0: yeah. And parts of New Jersey are like that. Yeah. <laughs> to be, to be fair. Like
1: that. that is true. Yeah. Um- I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I appreciate it so much. And I might have to have you come on again when we cover pediatrics. Oh, good. I would love that. I would love that. I was really delighted talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you so much much. for all that information. I just have a couple things to share. Um, In addition to it being MS Awareness Month, it's also Endometriosis Month, Awareness Month, and Brain Injury Month, we did do an episode on stroke so i invite everybody to check out it was four um episode four if you want to rewatch that on stroke i'm going to next week do an episode on acupuncture and endometriosis um on the 15th juliet ayana will be coming on to talk to us about acupuncture and eczema on the 22nd dr martha lucas will be coming on to chat with us about self-care and home care and on the 19th, Daniel Bernstein will be coming on to talk to us about insomnia and acupuncture. So thanks so much for tuning in. And thanks again, Melanie. It was so good to see you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. You, Have Melanie. a great night. Thank you. You too.
2: Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. bye
0: The contents presented during the Practical Medicine podcast include information about various modalities that exist to achieve health and wellness and are for informational purposes only. You acknowledge and agree that the following disclaimers and warnings shall apply to all content presented.
1: The podcast contains the opinions of Dr. Robert Balco, LAC, and Dr. Stephanie Lipnicki, LAC, and the guests of their show. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding any medical condition.
0: The views expressed in the Practical Medicine Podcast are our own and do not represent those of all licensed acupuncture professionals. Always seek the help of your own acupuncturist or medical provider to determine your best course of action. You may want to use the information presented as a supplement to better understand your diagnosis or treatment, but it should not be the sole thing that you use to make important medical decisions. Do not use the content of the podcast in lieu of medical advice.
1: Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking care because of something you have heard on this podcast. Privacy is important to us. Thus, all people, places and scenarios have been changed where applicable to protect privacy and maintain confidentiality.